The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Amy Daniels McClure. I'm a registered nurse with a doctorate in nursing focused on rehabilitation and a clinical consultant with Coloplast. What would it be like if you were to face a life-changing event so traumatic that it could define you for the rest of your days, that it could change what you do, how you do it, and call into question every dream you had ever dared to chase? What happens when you arrive back at square one? Patricia Downing, a competitive athlete, life was about an active existence, freedom, and seeking out her next big adventure. That was until the day that tragedy struck and everything changed. Arriving in unknown territory, Trisha found herself relearning simple tasks, reinventing her life, and redefining able. In making her comeback to athletic training, Trisha took the lessons that she learned through her injury and rehabilitation to start her life. Realizing that life is like a sport, the training we do makes a difference between just being in the race and raising your arms with pride across the finish line. Embark on a journey of self-discovery and explore the essence of the human spirit with our speaker as she shares how strength, courage, and perseverance changed her attitude from I can't into I can with faced with seemingly overwhelming challenges. Please welcome Trisha Downey. Good afternoon, Trish. <laughs> Hi, Amy. <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us today to talk about what you want people working with spinal cord injuries to know. So specifically clinicians, uh, those of us in the rehab space, what you really wish we knew or took into account when um, talking with you or helping you through medical decisions and medical complications. So the first one I want to talk about a little bit is what was your education like regarding bowel and bladder in your initial rehab? And do you think it was enough? Yes, I, I think I had really great education in rehab, both in terms of bowel and bladder. Um, but I think that it's just so complicated, right? You know, and it, and it takes time because I think it takes time for your body to understand like, what's up, you know, this mm -hmm. is a whole new way of life. And, um, you know, you obviously have to train your bowels to work with you, whether it's, you know, you're a morning person or a night right. person and there's that. And, you know, so you're not in rehab long enough really to experience as many things as you experience during that. So, I mean, I think that rehab clinicians should be letting people know that like things still need to kind of iron themselves out right. and you still, you know, your body's still getting used to this. And, you know, one of the big things you might want to do is track your drinking, track your eating, track your bowel habits, track, you know, your bladder habits. Like if I drink a whole glass of water, how soon is it until my right. bladder is full and I need to cath? Because you don't always know what it feels like when your bladder's full. And you kind of like, you kind of learn that I think over time. And, and so then you start getting the sensations and you're like, oh, my bladder is full. Um, Cause it doesn't, it's not normal by any stretch. Right. It's not how you feel when you have to go to the bathroom. And so you have to kind of learn your body, like what signs your body gives you when you either need to empty your bladder or you need to empty your bowels. And so it's really important to get to know your body 
and to to really pay very close attention. And I think it's the people who pay close attention who have the best results when they go back home. Because um, you can't fly by the seat of your pants anymore. That's not part of spinal cord injury. And that has to be so hard because, you know, for an able-bodied person, if we need to go to the bathroom, we just go. Right. Right. So how did you get your head around that initially? I mean, it sounds like you did a really good job learning that early on. I had a lot of hard lessons, you know, like I had a lot of bowel accidents. I had a lot of bladder accidents. I had a lot of times where I would go out and try to be social with friends and then find that there wasn't uh, an accessible bathroom. First few years were, were a real struggle for me, for sure. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that you have to learn by doing. You have to learn by experiencing. Um, but you can make it easier for yourself if you're good at paying attention. You know, if you have a headache, if you have leg spasms, those are the signs that something is not right. And you need to pay attention to that. You can't just be like, oh, I must have a headache or, oh, my legs are kind of spazzy, you know, like. Generally, that means something is going on. I mean, I I do have spasticity, regular spasticity. I actually have a baclofen pump implant, but I know there's a little bit difference between the spasticity that I had just kind of regularly and then like what I would have, say, with a UTI or with a full bowels or, you know, things like that. So it's really paying attention to very fine details. And you you just learn that, right? I mean, did you just... It just takes time. Yeah. You just kind of learn it and you just kind of like figure out like, wow, my body did something weird. Why did it do that? And I don't know, like, I mean, I don't know if it's being an athlete that I'm used to like really listening to my body and learning it. But I think that, I mean, anybody can, you just have to pay attention, you know, like if you have a bowel accident, you know, think back like, well, what did I eat today? Why, why might that have happened? What kind of a bowel program did I have? Did I, you know, like, did I have a lot or not a lot? You just kind of have to figure it out. And how would you recommend to a nurse or to a patient that's learning this? Did you do an app? Did you write it down? Because what you're asking is to keep some pretty extensive details. And I think that's new for people, especially most people when they get injured, they're younger um, and we're not used to looking at our bodies like that. So how would you suggest somebody keeps track of those details? You know, how did you do it? Um, I, I mean, I'm sure you could probably use an app now. I mean, I... Some people read the newspaper when they're on the toilet and, you know, like right. I, idea. I wrote in a journal, yeah. you know, and I okay. would write not only my body, but just my mind. Like I have a journal from when I got out of the hospital, wow. all the kind of ups and downs that I went through. And so if it's going to take you an hour doing a bowel program. You might as well be productive, <laughs> right. right? So I did a lot of reading and writing in that time and uh, just really tried to pay attention. And, and, you know, and then there'd be the times where I'd have accidents and I, you right. know, have to think like, why did that happen? And, you know, so, sometimes you can't explain it, right. but sometimes you can. And, and if you can, you know, if you know that spicy foods causes an accident, well, either don't eat spicy foods or be ready to run to the bathroom as soon as you do, you know, I mean, you just, you make your choices or figure out a medicine that you might need to take before. Yeah. You You bring up a good point. You are sitting there for a while. And I think I love that you were candid about that, but I bet, you know, our bowel and our gut are really tied to our emotions. And so I'm sure as you were dealing with all of this newness at those first couple of years, I'm sure stress and anxiety and depression, not that you went through depression, but some people do, um, that takes a toll on our gut. And so journaling is a great idea while you're sitting there. I think that that's a fabulous idea. And then, you know, those little nuances you mentioned, I think that's really important for people 
to know, um, you know, you'll learn your, the different spasticities. And for me as a nurse to know, you know, if I'm working with a patient to pay attention to those things and help them with what they might look for. So yeah. um, thank you for sharing those. So the journey with bowel and bladder has been a big one for you. Would you say in your 21 years, you've got it nailed down or does it continue to be a journey that you face? I actually have it pretty well nailed down now. Um, and that's due to the fact that I have metrophenoff. So I now cath through my belly button. Um, can you tell everybody what a metrophenoff is? Real um, quick. Yeah, I can tell you in lay terms <laughs> yes, that's that my doctor used my appendix and he um, led the appendix from my bladder to my belly button. And so now I put a catheter through my belly button as opposed to into my urethra and it empties out my bladder. So I actually don't need to get onto a toilet to go to the bathroom. I can, I usually, um, in my purse, I will keep a Gatorade bottle and catheters. So I can empty my bladder in the car, on my bike, um, anywhere I go. Sometimes I'm too lazy to leave my <laughs> desk in my office to go to the bathroom. So I do it right there. But it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's so like so much of a clean, easy process because you don't have to remove any clothing. I, it's, it's allowed me to wear a different array of clothes than I could before, mm -hmm. you know, before I was wearing a lot of skirts so that I could easily cast when I had to get to my urethra. But now I can just like I wear whatever I want to wear. And um, that's how I got through doing long distance triathlons is because I could use the restroom on my bike and not make a mess and and get it done. Um, also, in terms of bowel, I have a colostomy. And so I irrigate that in the morning and it pretty much empties it for the day. So it's still like doing a bowel program, but it's about a quarter of the time that mm -hmm. I was spending. And um, then that keeps me from worrying about having bowel accidents. And um, it allows me to, you know, just go through my life without, I had a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, just worrying about, am I going to have an accident when I'm, you know, if I'm going to go away for the day, if I'm going to go do something with friends and we're going to be on from 10 in the morning until, you know, nine at night, I would just I couldn't enjoy myself because I just was always worried I was going to have an accident. Wow. I don't think anybody realizes that that impact of a spinal cord injury. And until you got your ostomy, that was probably a pretty significant part of your life. It sounds like. Yeah. With your bladder, just getting back to that, you had mentioned how good your life is now. Can you tell everybody a little bit what it's like to cath as a female without the metrophenol? Oh my gosh. It's a production and it takes so long. Like I remember in the beginning spending 15 minutes minimum in the bathroom by the time I got my pants down then got into position, got my catheter ready, went to the bathroom, then got back in my chair, pull up my pants. It is it is an absolute production. It really relies on having accessible bathrooms, mm -hmm. which are not everywhere. You'd like to think that they would be, but they're not. And just, you know, if it's a gross bathroom. I was just going to ask you about the cleanliness. Like, there's yeah. just, you have to touch things and you yeah. don't want to touch things because then you have to deal with, you know, your body and you don't want to get bacteria all over because then you get UTIs. And it just, it's a nightmare. To me, it was a nightmare. And that was, it was not worth dealing with that. Right. And um, I have friends who still do it and, and they've been doing it, you know, as long as I've been injured or longer and I hats off to them, but that was not, 
not going to be a part of my reality. So I was really happy when I found out about the Mitrofanoff surgery because it's an absolute game changer and it made it so that I could live my life. Right. You Especially know? I mean, that's active. what it's, yeah, that's what it's about. And I think that's a great option, um, Trish, for people to know and look into if that's an option for them. You also mentioned that some of your friends still do cath through their urethra. And I think the important thing for us as clinicians to know is that we've got to make it as easy for you as we can and as clean. Yes. Especially when you're out and about because that transfer and that if you go to a Broncos game with your husband, yeah, you it's know, gross. It, it's gross. It's gross. It's just gross and so, time consuming. And it's not, I, I mean, I don't know why somebody would, <laughs> I, I don't know why somebody would keep doing that. Like, obviously, you know, the people who do surgery, maybe, yeah, maybe the they don't want to have the surgery, but um, I'm telling you it is hundred percent worth it. Right. And it makes your life so much easier. That's, I'm so happy you found that, Trish. Um, but for those that, that don't have it too, I mean, you're still having to do cath, which means oh, yeah, you still have absolutely. to time. Um, yeah. You still have to do it four times a day or six times a day. You still have to pay or... attention to what you're drinking and when you're drinking and, you know, when you need to cath and pay attention to right. the feelings that your body's giving you and the signs and then you'll know. And you talked a little bit about, you talked a lot about the bowels. When it comes to your bladder, I mean, you still have to cath your metrophenol. Before you go out, do you, do you plan? Do you, do you go to the restaurants and check? Do you check the wheelmate? I mean, there's a wheelmate app where I think you can check and see what the bathrooms are like. Do you do all that? Or you, do you just kind of. I don't do that at all because I can, because with the Mitrofanoff, people have no idea. I, I've, I've done it sitting next to people on the airplane and they have no idea that you're doing it. They don't know what, what you're doing. So when I go to a restaurant and it's not accessible, like I might go outside to the back alley and just cath really quick and then go back in and always keep hand sanitizer and wipes <laughs> on me and done. And so that's what, I mean, that's the number one reason why I really like it. You can have a lot of anxiety around, like if you can't find an accessible right. bathroom, like, you know, when I've traveled, you know, going to London, like there was no bathrooms that I could find that were accessible. And I ended up going to a back alley. It's stressful, especially with your, when you're out with friends, maybe you're out with people who you don't know really well, or their coworkers, and you don't want to share with them what's going on. You don't want your bladder to get so full that you either, you know, leak or get dysreflexic, right. or, you know, whatever. So it's just nice to have the Mitrofenoff and be able to have right. a lot more control because, you know, accessibility is good, but it's not awesome. Right. And I think where we can help as clinicians too, Trish, is to try to get people where you're at with your metrophenoff without the metrophenoff as well. Right. And I think that that's what, where we can challenge clinicians is to take what you say about your life, the control, the discreetness, you know, you can go out and cast in the back alley and nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. Um, those are kinds of things that we can also work on with people that don't have a metrophenoff or don't have the ability to get that. So we can take everything that you just said and try to help every female get that because one of the big differences between males and females is where the urethra is. Yes, exactly. So um, it's a big challenge for females. And I know learning how to cath and cathing out, you mentioned, that, I mean, your whole story is living out as an Olympian, as an iron athlete. You have lived your life very active. You have not stayed home by any means. And so managing your bowel and bladder has been huge for you. And so all of your successes in sharing that with us has been great. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really important. And, you know, there are different ways to do it. Like if you don't have a matraf enough, I have friends who like when they fly, when we go internationally, they have an indwelling catheter for the flight. They learned how to put it in and take it out by themselves. I was never taught how to do that in the hospital. Right. So maybe that's something that, you know, a patient needs to know before they leave is how, how do you manage this by yourself? Or how do you manage the night bag versus the leg bag? Right. Or, you know, when do you want to use which option mm-hmm. um, or discrete ways to cath would you when you have to do it someplace other than an accessible restroom. So right. I know that there are women who can cath in an airplane seat or on a bus mm-hmm. or whatever without people knowing. I I don't know all those tricks because I never needed to learn them. But I know some of my athlete friends who we all get put right. in these same positions where we're traveling internationally, we're thrown in a bus, they would take you to a hotel like Maybe stuff is accessible. Maybe it's not. And you got to figure it out. Well, and you just bring up something that I love about talking to you and other um, Paralympians is that you guys just figure it out. You figured out your metropinoff. Other females have figured out their urethra. And it's just a matter of being creative and not giving up. Yeah, you really don't have a choice. Right. If if you don't want to be limited by your wheelchair and a, a lifestyle, like you, you have to, you do have to be creative and you do have to figure it out. And the thing is, is there are so many people to go to for references. Like there are a lot of Facebook groups right now um, for people with spinal cord injuries. That's and cool. I'm on, I'm on several of them. And every day somebody's asking a question you know, what about this surgery? What about, Mm -hmm. how do you do this? How do you do that? And other people with spinal cord injuries are are the best place to get advice and to get information. And it's far better than even going to the doctor, you know, like I'll I'll go to one of the Facebook groups first before I go to the doctor and ask, because, you know, a lot of times the doctors have no idea. Right. And we, you and I had talked about that before. What do you see physicians outside of rehab, their knowledge of spinal cord injuries? A lot of times it's very little. And sometimes they're terrified of you because they don't know what to do with you. They a lot of times won't give good advice or they will, you know, kind of wonder why you're there trying to get better because they think that, you know, what are you going to go out and do anyway? Um, I don't think they realize how active of a community the spinal cord injury community is. I mean, people do stuff all the time. Like I'm surprised at some of the things that people do and they keep doing after their injuries, riding motorcycles and jumping off of bridges. Yeah. Jumping (laughs) off of bridges, but bungee jumping, parachuting. Like, I mean, it's really just there, there really are not limits anymore on people who have spinal cord injuries. And I think doctors are like the last to know or something because they, they just don't seem to see that. Well, that's a lot of that is kudos to you, Trish. I mean, you've been the past 21 years, you have not stayed in bed by any means. No, and so- I, but I had to do a lot of research and I had to talk to a lot of people. And I think now it's a lot different than it was, you know, 21 years ago. We didn't, there was no Facebook. So it was really just word of mouth. And it was, you know, I would go to races and I would talk to the other women there. Like I'd do a marathon and I'd talk to the women and be like, what do you do? Like, you know, right. racing for a couple of hours. Like, how do you manage your bladder during that time? You just have to be willing to ask. And fortunately, I think in this community, bowel and bladder are topics that are discussed like, like your husband, just like lunch, you know, (laughs) it's like, what do you have for lunch? And how'd you manage your bladder this morning? You know, I mean, it's, it's very like a normal question to ask. 
Where would you send a new female who's maybe struggling with how to even ask or where to go? They just got discharged and she's scared. Is there somebody that you or a group that you like? Or Yeah, I mean, I hope that the hospitals would have some former patients who could come back and mentors. peer mentors. Yeah. But there are groups on Facebook, search them, spinal cord injury group or okay. whatnot. And I think really those are the best places to get information. There are also a lot of organizations, you know, adaptive sports is, mm-hmm. is always a great thing to get involved in. Um, because those are pe- also people who can help you. It's a little bit of networking, but once you get tapped in, you know, with a few people, you can get tapped in with the whole network. Well, and I think it's important for people to know too, um, Trish, you are a phenomenal athlete and a world-class athlete, but there are people with other interests too. Um, you know, there's people that want to be into theater or we just met the Rolettes, the dance group in LA, and you can do anything. In one of your stories, you mentioned that your wheelchair actually gave you wings, which I think is very poignant for women to know that this doesn't have to stop you in anything. And Trisha happens to be an athlete and a world-class athlete at that, but there are other things that you can look at and do. And Trisha's story is just all about empowering you to do it. You're still the same person and you still have the same interests as before your injury. You just have to figure out how you now use your former tools or your former body or whatever it is. You just have to modify it, but it's, it's not like it's undoable. And, you know, the more time that passes, there's somebody who's done it. It was hard, harder for me to find people who had done what I was doing, you know, 21 years ago. And I'm sure like for people who got injured 30 years ago is even right. harder. But today, a simple Google search and you will find absolutely anything. You Isn't that so about. cool to see where? Yeah, it's not your spinal cord injury is just it's not as limited, you know, it's yeah. not as limited. It's, yeah, it's out there and you will find somebody who yeah. can help you do what you want to do. Well, a lot of that is thanks to you and people like you, Trish. So thank you. I do want to talk about something that's maybe not so fun on this topic, which is dealing with product once you you got home. So we've talked about cathing. You need a catheter to do that. Sometimes people face issues once they go home. You know, when you're in the hospital, you get all the products you need. You have everything that you want. And then what happens when you go home? Do you have the same access? Yeah, it really depends on your insurance. A lot of times you can't get the same quality or the same quantity as what you had in the hospital. I I think I used a lot of all-in-one systems, you know, where you've got a catheter in the bag and everything. Yeah, you don't necessarily get that when you get out of the hospital. Like that was the first like definite no um, from my insurance company. And then I do remember there was a time one of my insurances did not cover my catheter. So I was at all um, at all. So I was paying for all of my catheters. So it just it really depends on the insurance you have. You might have a copay. You might you might get them covered. You might get, you know, really great ones. You might get very standard ones. It just it really depends on your insurance. And so that can be hard on the budget because, you know, it makes you like, okay, how many times can I afford to go to the bathroom today? You know, I mean, you're talking like, you know, $1.50 a pop or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that can be really stressful and difficult. And then the other problem is, is that it's hard to find a place like I run out of catheters a lot because I cath a lot Mm -hmm. at the end of the month before my new supply comes to me. A lot of times I will, I will run out of catheters and, um, fortunately, I have found a place in Denver where I live, a store, a medical supply store, and they keep a box or two of catheters on hand. So if I run out, I just call them and I go over and pick them up. Um, 
but it's, you know, it's not one of those things you can get at 7-Eleven no. or at Target. So you really have to pay attention to like how many you have. And you like, if you travel, you have to make sure that you travel with well over what you think mm -hmm. you're going to need because you never know. Like if you get a UTI and then you get on antibiotics and then you cath more or something. I've been on trips where I've been like, okay, I've got to ration these catheters. They have to last this whole way home. And I've had some really close calls to where yeah. I got home with zero catheters on Oh my me. gosh, how scary and are you? Like, yeah, like <laughs> I have to get in the house really quick and go to the bathroom. So sometimes you can find access to bleach and clean them, but I just don't like to reuse catheters because I, I, I get a UTI every time I do. Some people say they don't have any problems at all, but I, I do. So I don't reuse them. Well, there's a reason why you get covered. Most people get coverage for one catheter every time they cath. Unfortunately, I'm not sure what happened with yours, but um, who did you go to to figure that out? I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, you're dealing with all of it anyway. Who did it? Somebody help you or did you just navigate that? Um, I did not have a lot of help. Just figured it out. Um, I just kind of had to figure it out. I did, you know, when I went home from the hospital, they had set me up with a supply place. And then when I was running my uh, women's wheelchair camp, I came across a, another supplier of catheters and a switch to them. Okay. And so they've kind of like navigated things for me oh, that's ever good. since. Because it seems like somebody would need to help navigate that. Yeah, it's, you know, all the... Everything, everything insurance related mm -hmm. is really difficult. And especially if you're changing insurances or you need to know what's covered and what's not covered and right. when you need a referral, when, when you don't need a referral and having the insurance companies communicating with the catheter companies so that you know how many catheters you get. Ugh. I mean, it's really like, it is not easy. It, it's a, probably one of the bigger headaches of having a spinal cord injury. Well, and it seems like to me as clinical professionals, we could do a better job of maybe knowing that world as well. And so that would be something that we could all work on too, to help you. Because if we know, we can teach you. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that doesn't sound like a fun thing to have to deal with at all. So, so in, in conclusion, you've, you've lived a full life. I mean, and you continue to do so. You were a racer and you were the first female wheelchair racer to finish an iron distant triathlon, which I can't even hardly say that without... <laughs> I can't even imagine doing that. Um, you can talk about what that involved, um, as well as a world champion athlete in four different sports and a Paralympian in shooting. So you have done a lot. What would you say is the number one thing to getting back to resuming the activities you love? I think the number one thing is being able to regulate your body and, and know what it needs and being able to read the signs, being able to understand when when it's in distress, because distress feels different when you are injured than it did before. And um, you need to be able to know that and what to do in in all those situations. And not give up when you have a bowel accident. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Trish. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us professional. 